So give the Lord Jesus some praise. Can you do that? Hallelujah. All right, precious friend. We talked this morning, in fact, uh, about Jesus Christ has come to save. It's a heavenly bailout program and how to position yourself for heaven's help. And uh, what I want to do is kind of carry on, but in a little different way. So if you have a Bible, go with me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 11. You know, God loves you completely. We all always used to hear God loves you, but we, we don't know if we always believe that. We always don't know if we really know that. Because sometimes we think our love that we receive from Him is based on how well we're doing. If we're doing right, being right, this, that, or the other. But see, God loves you completely. And that's what the cross is all about. And so, to be rescued, like I was telling you this morning, when I was drowning as a young kid in that lake in Michigan, and I cried out for help, help me, I'm drowning. I didn't have to pre-qualify myself. There was a massive love in the heart of a deliverer that came and got me. But then I fought my own rescue because I thought I could save myself. So I was still thrashing and kicking. I told you how I would be dunked. And then brought up gasping. And they say, if you're going to fight on your own, I will, not, I will not linger with you. You rest in me. And cooperate. See, the job of a believer, faith in the one who saves you, puts you at rest. And all you have to do now is cooperate with the whisperings where he's drawing you. And if you'll cooperate... You'll find yourself at a destination you never knew how you could get there. And that's the beauty of believing. And so the way you find the place of rest is you have to be delivered from yourself. Remember I told you that self-sufficiency will sink you. So the only way you can be delivered from yourself is trust in the one who you've called upon. And his name is Jesus. So look here in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28, Jesus gives us a great invitation. He says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, Jesus is speaking to Jewish people. Now think about what the Jewish law required the people to do. I mean, all you had to do is sit in a, a, a sermon from a professional Pharisee. It would exhaust you. The only time Jesus got grumpy in his earthly ministry is dealing with people who tried to save themselves according to their own effort and put heavy burdens on the people to feel that they had to perform properly to be accepted properly. And so Jesus is speaking to the Jewish folk and he says, listen, I want you to come to me now. All you who are laboring to get to your destinations, all of you who are trying to approve yourself as good enough to receive the love of God, and you come unto me and I'll take you to my bosom, just like the guy who rescued me. I was taken. I wasn't just pulled by the chin. No, I would have been thrashing and, and, and saint myself. I was controlled by a hug. And I was rested 
really on the bosom of the one pulling me. And then cooperating with what I heard in my ear. This is a picture of a believer who lets God love them. Now a person who's always trying to love God based on their effort, they're always exhausted. Because everything becomes a work and they're working to try to validate that they love God and then they get disappointed with themselves. They didn't pray enough, do enough. They didn't have the right feeling, whatever. They wonder if God's far from them. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, let's hang up all your effort and come to me. And when you come to me and have faith in my work, in what I've done, what I've done you will find rest for your soul, your emotional realm. Your mental peace. How many of us today in our culture, it's so upside down the world, you know, and it doesn't take long to get nervous. You just have to have a few minutes to think or listen to the news or, or have a worst case scenario, you know, pop up. And, you know, it's like it's like going on certain websites. Sometimes in the morning uh, I have a little devotional time. Heidi, she's so disciplined. Bless her wonderful heart. She gets up and she's praying and she reads the Bible. I stumble down. Hey, what's happening? You know, and and, uh, and I, 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 I'm a social drinker with Heidi coffee. <laughs> Heidi's got to have like two cups to get like really top gear. You know, I have a third of a cup of coffee and I put it on and I sip on it just to socialize with her. And then. I, I, I have a little devotional thing, a little thing I'm going through and just prepare my heart. And then I take some notes on my computer of little thoughts. God springs in my spirit. Wow. Then, then while I'm talking to Heidi, I'll check the news out. Online newspapers from around the country. And I read three, four, just go through the headlines and stuff. It doesn't take me, you know, different things. You go to certain sites, different ads pop up. You didn't ask for it. They just popped up. See, that's what your own effort will do. It will invite things to pop up. The what ifs. And you're always hitting the delete button or whatever, or hitting the X or Xing it out or whatever you're doing. But, but all these things to get you worried and full of fear and trying to figure out, oh, dear God, what am I going to do? This old God, what am I going to do about it? And you're laboring. You're not resting. Because you think your deliverance is in your paddling. All your effort getting to your destination, like my illustration of being in the lake, when really I got to the destination of where I needed to be when I called out for help. And so Jesus gives you an invitation to hang out with him. Come on. You're welcome. You don't have to pre-approve yourself to have an audience with him. You know, some people it's hard to get, get their attention. Some people... You know, it's interesting. One reason why I like Pastor Mark so much is I get a hold of him. And we chit-chat and it's like instantly we were... If I hadn't talked to him for six months and he called me or I called him instantly because there's a, a, a camaraderie in our hearts. It's instant. Now, I have some precious pastor friends that I don't even have access to. You got to go through layers and layers and chains of this and that. And you're almost nervous, you know, and they're your friends. 
They're, they're your friends. And you're nervous wreck, you know. There's, there's certain minister's meetings I've been at, they exhaust me. Because of the effort. There's not a relational component. But see, Jesus gives you access. Come unto me. See, here's the deal about your life. Every part of your life is fixable. But it's from a position of taking an invitation in understanding that your access to Him is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And if you'll just come, or if you'll just call, He'll cover you. And He'll draw you tight. And that's what love does. You've got to know and believe that God loves you completely. Do you know what I tell myself every day? God loves me completely. God's blessed me or favored me abundantly. And He's blessed me eternally. Has nothing to do with my effort, my doing. It has everything to do with what He's done. All I have to do is believe it and cooperate with the whispers on my spirit to the will of the Father. So come to a place to let God love you. I want to talk to you about this phrase, let God love you. Your access to Him is not based on your effort. It's not based on your work. It's based on His effort at the cross. It qualifies you to receive everything that the Father has. So my desire for you, friend, tonight is for you to experience the love of God in such a way you can rest from your labor. That you can enjoy Him fully. And receive of his love. Go with me to first first John chapter three. First John chapter three. The Bible says this in verse one. Says, Behold, what manner the of love, what manner of love, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called. The sons of God. Think about this. God loves you so much, He calls you family. You got access to Abba Father. You got access anytime because of the love of God. You know, love can be given, but it does you no good unless you receive it. There's a lot of people that know God loves them, but they don't know how to receive the love of God. They're religious. They're living their whole life based on their doing and their effort and religious code and religious thing. Trying to, trying to find a place where they think they're good enough. They don't know how to receive love. For example, tomorrow morning, real early, I catch a flight. I go back to uh, home base, Mission Hills, California, the L.A. Basin. I'm there for a couple of days and I fly to Europe. But uh, um, when I go home tomorrow, my wife Heidi will pick me up at the airport. When Heidi picks me up at the airport, I don't say, hey, Heidi, what's going on? Dear God, here we go another day, just trying to struggle through life. You know, when Heidi comes, she'll get out of the car. She'll have a dainty little smile on her face. And I'll say, hey, 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 you know. <laughs> you know what I do? I'll give her a hug. But my hug can only help her if she receives it. If she pushes me back and says, forget you, Jack, you've been up with Mark Thomas for three days and I can't help you. No. Hugs only help when they're received. 
I'm preaching good now, aren't I, huh? Uh, See, God's love for you, even though it's true, most people don't know how to let God love them. They just know God loves them. But they don't believe it. Because they don't know how to receive it. So they're always living in their constant mind. Oh my goodness, I didn't pray enough. I didn't do enough. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. I should have done this. I should have done that. And they live based on a principle of laws that qualify them. And it only produces a condemnation to themselves. See, the ministry, the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, that the ministry of the law can only produce condemnation. It only produces death. It makes you feel like you died inside and yet you're religious. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But you're frustrated. You're striving. You're working. Trying to get to your desired destinations in life. And you just get so disappointed with yourself. So here's a question. Are you resisting the love of God? Or are you receiving the love of God? Do you live with condemnation? Are you disappointed in yourself today for yesterday? Are you living with guilt? I wish I did that better. I wish I... Are you living with shame? See, the devil, the law, will always put shame on you. Legalists do that, you know. When, when the person's caught, you know, in adul- adultery, right, Johnny? Huh? They wanted to stone her. According to the law, it was the righteous, the law's holy thing to do. Jesus stepped back. Said, whoever's never sinned, go ahead and give it a heave. Chuck it. Take her down. And his simplicity in his comment, as he stooped and wrote on the ground, probably highlighting their heart. The Bible says they left from greatest to the least. Then he issued an utterance from the heart of the Father. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus gives no condemnation, which equips her with ability in the grace of God to go and sin no more. Your victory in your life isn't in your effort to a code. It's in your resting in Jesus' finished work. Your victory over sin comes from the place where there's no shame and no condemnation. Because you're covered by a massive I tell you, friend, once it gets a hold of your heart, it overwhelms you. You'd never violate the one who's rescued you. You'd never violate the one who's drawn you and taken you to the place where you need to be. So, love has to be received. Let's let God love you and let's receive his love. Go with me in your Bible, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. Here's what the Bible says. And we have known... And believed the love God has for us. Now notice, let's just pause right there. We have known, circle that word. And we have believed the love God has for us. Circle those two words, known and believe. Underline it, highlight, do something. See, there's a lot of people that know God loves you. You know, we sang it in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, huh? For the, started in the high key, Bible (laughs) tells me so, right? We know God loves us, but most people don't know how to receive his love. So the love of God, which is evident and present, is not embraceable to fix people. The world's full of people know God loves them. But they don't know how to believe it. You have to know and believe the love God has for you. 
Most people can't know it or believe it because they think the love is only receivable based on their doing. And it's not. It's based on Jesus' doing. And so let me show you how Jesus qualifies you to sit in a place where you have access to everything. Go with me in your Bible to a story that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is really a covenant of love. And that's really what the New Testament's all about. It's a covenant of God's love for us. This story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll just start in verse 1. I'll read for quite a little while here. Through this uh, first 10, 11, 12, 13 verses, something like that. Let's just read for a while. It says, Now, David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I might show kindness or favor or grace? For Jonathan's sake. Now, let's set up the story a little bit. David is now king. Remember, David took King Saul's place. King Saul had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were friends. They were, they were pals. And they had a covenant relationship. Once David got on the throne as king, Jonathan now was dead. But David, because of covenant, asked a question. Is there not anybody in Jonathan's house who's still alive, who's around, that I can show kindness to? Verse 2, there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul, to whom I may show kindness of God, or the favor of God, or the grace of God. Now remember, God's grace, God's favor, God's love, God's kindness isn't up to you, based on your effort and doing. See, grace is accessible through the yieldedness of yourself. When you don't trust yourself, the Bible says when you humble yourself, grace is accessible. Your favor in your life for your deliverance, For your victory, for your increase, for your prosperity, for your health. Everything you're trying to work hard to get and do more to do. And whatever whatever regulation you have yourself on, it's not found in your effort. It's found in your rest. In Him cooperating with His writing on your heart. His speaking of His Spirit to you. So it goes on to say... I want to show the kindness of God in Ziba. Verse 3 said, uh, said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Lodabar means kind of a barren place. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here's your servant. See, he had kind of a condemnation sort of feeling like, wow, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to be done because he did, he did David wrong. See, do you know that all of us have done God wrong? All of, us, all of us really excelled, you know, in some capacity with a rebellious heart against God. Now, maybe the magnitudes are different, but in God's eyes, any violation of who he is, you know, sin is sin. The Bible says whatever is not a faith is sin. The Bible says if you know to do good and do it not, it's sin. So, I mean, if you're going to keep track of your sin, <laughs> you're going to be busy. You know what I mean? Because, because 
your humanity, your frailty, your humanity will always keep you at a distance of disqualification. So notice what happens. <laughs> notice what happens. So David said to him, don't fear. You know, most people don't want to get help because they think they're going to rebuke by it. They think they're going to be nitpicked and judged. He said, don't fear. I will surely show you kindness or grace or favor for Jonathan, your father's sake, and restore. Wow, now here's a new thought. And restore to you all the land. How many of you would like to have houses and lands and accounts restored, huh? Yeah. Now he's now going to get some action in the material realm. He's going to get some money. Yeah. And I'll restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. That had to be a pretty good load of land. And you'll eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that I should look at, that you should look upon me as such a dead dog as I think about the response? Here's the king saying, I'm going to restore you everything. I'm going to give you every bit of land of your granddaddy, the king. What am I, a low down, good for nothing bum, a dog? See, this is what. This is what happens to us when we think we have to be good enough. See, the dude was lame. The dude had to be carried. He had nothing to give to the king except himself. This is a picture of how much God loves you. In a way, we're all kind of crippled. We all, you know, fell down a few times, stubbed our toes, messed up, screwed up, uh, did something dumb. Whatever it was. And yet we feel we're no good. We're a dog. Look at the Bible says. Verse 9. The king called to Ziba. Saul's servant said to him. I, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul. And to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work, for, uh, work the land for him. And you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat. Bread at my table always. Second time now in this passage he said that. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Now this is the third time he said it. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Zippor were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he ate continually at the king's table, the fourth time. And he was lame in both of his feet. Here's the question. Have you ever eaten somewhere that you didn't feel like you belonged? You know, after the service today, your pastor said, Keith, I really had a nice place I wanted to take you. But you know, you didn't do very well this morning. I'm going to take you in the balance. No, actually, they took me to this great restaurant down in uh, Jack London Square, whatever it's called. You know, on the water and stuff. And had some nice little, uh, uh, I don't know what I had, but I had something. I, I ate it all. Hallelujah. Beautiful restaurant, but a nice restaurant, you know. I remember, see, as a kid, I never, I never went to a nice restaurant. As a kid, I went to a restaurant once a year. 
that I paid for myself. I had to raise my own money to go there. A fast food place, 99 cents for a hamburger, fries, and a drink. And it was a treat. And then we could go into that town and on, on uh, what do they call sidewalk sales. It was a treat. But I had to pay my own way. Then as we got older, my dad, who was a bricklayer, once a year would take the family out to like a little coffee shop restaurant in neighboring towns. All us five kids had to sit there. We could order the hamburger biscuit. We had to dress up to go. And my mother would teach us manners. So we know how to, you know, be in public among people. You know. <laughs> Pastor Mark said, I never learned very well. <laughs> I remember when, we, when, when I turned 13, a teenager, my parents took me to this restaurant in town, a neighboring town about 15 miles away. And it had these... these uh, Fiery, you know, what do you call the candles or yeah, whatever, torches all through this. And you go in here and you sit down. And I got to order steak, 13. Yeah, big time. Then at 16, we got to go to Marshall, Michigan. And I got to go to a place called Winshewers. So my, my idea of eating out was extremely, extremely restricted. I remember when I met Heidi when I went to Bible school, and I kind of liked her. I said, God's moving. Hallelujah. <laughs> then I thought, no, that's not God moving. That's Heidi moving. Hallelujah. <laughs> anyway, I took her to a restaurant. Because I had to act like I was, you know, like a one completely broke. <laughs> when I met Heidi, I was driving a 1966 Olds 98. It was as long as a sanctuary. <laughs> I could, I, you know, and I'd help her in to her side of the car, you know, and it was about 10 yards away. Hey. <laughs> I took her to this place It's not there in Tulsa anymore But it was this Mexican restaurant Where it had waterfalls in it and stuff yeah. Casa, Bonita. Casa Bonita Our first date, huh? How many God did something in your heart At Casa Bonita? <laughs> anyway, there's this waterfall I don't know, maybe 15 feet high or something We're sitting right there at the waterfall But for me, that was like a nice place and Heidi, I learned like Mexican food. That's her favorite. So we went and, and we did it. They finally threw us out of the restaurant because the place closed. <laughs> but you know, something happens when you're in an environment that, that stimulates the senses of your life and world. And It's like going into a place, a restaurant, and you don't feel you belong. I remember when I started in the ministry, you know, people started, you know, being kind to me. And when I would travel in America and meet people like your pastors and other people, people are always so kind and helpful. And uh, what happened was, uh, thank you, what happened was um, one time this pastor who lived in Chicago came to Southern California and he wanted to take me and Heidi to dinner. I said, okay, so we had to meet him down in Orange County many, many years ago. 
We went down in Orange County, and I almost felt disqualified to be there. It was kind of high-end. And I'm just a simple gospel preacher, you know. And so I went in there, and they give little stools for the ladies. Put their feet up. When you get, when you get, the, when you get the, uh, the menu, there's no price on the menu. The only person that sees a price is the guy who's got the reservation. So when I saw the menu with no prices, I got nervous. Because I like to order inexpensive. See, the upbringing of my mind based on what I had, what I could qualify for. And this pastor, he told me, he said, this is good for you. Because you don't know how much God loves you. He said, I want to bless you so much. You enjoy. I felt uncomfortable. See, when Mephibosheth got to sit at the king's table as a son. He was never asked about what he did wrong. He never was asked about how he failed in the retribution he wanted to give to the king because his family lost the kingdom. Instead, he was pre-qualified because he was in Jonathan. He was in Jonathan and there was a covenant between David and Jonathan. See, you're not at the Father's table because you're so wonderful. You're at the Father's table because you are in Christ. When you put your faith in the one who called you to come to him, and that you've called out on him to rescue you, you are pre-qualified because you're covered by his righteousness for everything. No questions Ask. Now, see, we, 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 it's hard for us to think that way. We say, oh, now this, this, this is too good to be true. Well, that's why it's called the gospel. The gospel's too good to be true. But this gives a great, great picture on how we have to yield to the one who covers us and let God love us and stop looking at ourselves like we're a dog. Like we did this wrong, we did that wrong, I didn't do this enough, I didn't confess that enough, I didn't do this, I didn't... No. Deliver yourself from yourself. Quit thrashing and rest in the one who's carrying you to the place you need to go. If you believe that, give the Lord a shout of praise, somebody. Can you do that? Amen? Now, how did Mephibosheth get there? He was blessed and favored and loved completely because he was in Jonathan. He did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to deserve it. He just got it. We too get a place at the table because we are in Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8, verse 17, And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Do you know that... David took the initiative. David took the initiative. Do you know that God takes the initiative with you? Do you know the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took the initiative. Look at it, it says in Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says, but God demonstrates... His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus gave us a covering. Pre-approved before we were here. 
in the foreknowledge of God, his love for you was so massive that he made an arrangement for you to have access to him. Jesus still seeks those who receive this kind of love and those who receive this kind of favor. Luke 19, verse 10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what I preached on this morning. Oh, you got to get that teaching. you got to get it. He comes to save you. And He gives a pattern, a template of how you can cooperate. And it's through grace, faith, and love like we talked about earlier today. Let's go to another little interesting thing. But first let me say, like... Uh, we need to yield and submit to the love and grace of God and receive His love completely. You know, Peter struggled when Jesus was washing everybody's feet. It felt uncomfortable. But to be clean, forgiven, and blessed, you have to just sit back and say, have at it. Just be honest with yourself and say, Jesus, have at it. You know what I do a lot of time in, in my little world? I just sit in the presence of the Lord and I let God love me. I don't even work at trying to love God. I don't even try to work up in emotion to love God. All I do is just think of the cross. And the amazing sacrifice that was pre-planned to pre-approve me for all my human frailty. And I let God love me. When you let God love you, you love Him continually. It's awesome. Here's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And if by grace, then it's no longer work. Now remember, Jesus is delivering you from your effort. Huh? Come unto me, all you who are working with your religious rulings. Come unto me, all you who labor in heaven. I'm going to give you rest. Your faith in His work is what works for you. See, the only work that works for you is not your work. People say, well, Keith, do you mean that we just are lazy bums and don't do nothing? Oh, no, you labor more abundantly in the grace of God. I've never worked harder in my life. But the work is not on the front end of my life. It's on the back end of the cross. In the equation of life... You put all your effort after your faith in the cross. Not to get to the cross to qualify. It's, in your, it's your effort. You labor more abundantly. Why? Because I'm being drawn. I'm being carried. And the Holy Spirit keeps whispering. Kick here, kick there, do this, do that. I say, okay, let's rock and roll, you know. And it takes physical effort. But there's a joy in it. There's a peace in it. There's a satisfaction. So... We have to yield and submit completely to Him. If, if, uh, Romans eleven six again says, If by grace and it's no longer works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it's no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Our Christian life and our foundation for everything in Christ must be established in receiving of God's love. If you're basing your value, your righteousness, your blessings, your increase... Based on your work, your effort, etc., then your faith is faulty. Our faith is in the grace of God, it triggers everything. It's based on where we're seated. In Him, we're at the table. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. So faith triggers the 
favor of God. See, my hug for Heidi has to be received. Now, she can see me physically, so my love should be easier for, to, for her to receive. Sometimes, since God is spirit, and we don't see a physical God, sometimes the love is hard to interpret. Because most people interpret God through their circumstance. Don't interpret God through circumstances. You'll be lied to. You interpret the heart of the Father through His wonderful Word. By positioning and filtering your heart with the flow of the grace, truth, Word that He's provided for us. That's why it's so important to have your mind and heart renewed to the fullness of who He is. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's verse 9 of Ephesians 2. So the idea is that uh, we cease from our own labor. And uh, it's so exciting to know that you and I can come to a place where there's full freedom, there's full help, and there's rest because we let God love us. Go with me, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. This is a great prayer. You all know it. Ephesians 3, verse 17 through 20. Notice the Bible says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Notice what to comprehend it. Comprehend it. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ. Circle the word of Notice you're not to know your love for Christ. You're to know of God's love for you. Don't work on your love for Him. It will flow naturally. It will grow from the seed of what you've received. You're to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. See, a person who's actually... Position themselves to receive the love of the Father. It's indescribable. Because it's a revelation. It's not something that you can even put a framework to. It's, it's not containable. It's not utterable. It's overwhelming. It passes knowledge. It's the love of Christ for you. It goes on to say that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works. See, sometimes I used to always quote that verse because I always needed something. And I'd try to psych myself up with a Bible verse here, there, and other place of what I was believing for. And tell myself the truth of those verses, which is a beautiful, beautiful principle. And an excellent thing to do. To renew your mind with the will of the Father. But my faultiness in my spiritual, you know, growth pattern was that I thought I had to get myself there. I worked at it. Worked at it. So, the shift that I've made recently is to allow God to love me and rest in His love for me and have Him take me and draw me. And my effort is now with ease. The favor is everywhere. And when it's there, the provision floods in. 
flows for whatever need, whether it's an emotional need, a physical need, a relational situation, a financial, whatever the need is. Hallelujah. And so we just stay focused with God's love for us. Let God love you. Notice the emphasis I said is on the love of Christ. Not the love for Christ. Don't work at trying to love God. You'll disappoint yourself. But rather focus on receiving His love. You'll never be disappointed. Notice, go with me to John 13. Let me explain this whole concept of being rescued. Because here's the deal. I'm going to finish tonight by taking you to a place that if you will allow God to love you, the greatest assignments for your life await you. The greatest asset that you've ever had is getting ready to be revealed if you let God love you. So look with me in John chapter 13. Are you all doing okay tonight? Huh? Now, now look at this precious friend. John 13 verse 23. The Bible says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. Now think about this. How many disciples were there? Twelve. Not a trick question. There were twelve, okay? (laughs) Jesus was sitting at a table, having fellowship, breaking bread, talking about his sacrifice. At this table, these guys couldn't fathom it. Redemption. Because they were living in an old covenant. And Jesus was bridging something to introduce the new covenant. So Jesus was introducing what his sacrifice would do. But then the picture is described. There was one sitting at the table leaning on him. Kind of like Brenda leaning on Pastor Mark. And he's got his mind completely off my message. I'm not... (laughs) Boy, I'm preaching good now. No, anyway. So she's, she's leaning on him. But the, the description here, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Notice it doesn't say who loved Jesus. Very good. Now let me ask you the question, who was this dude? It was John, the Apostle John. John wrote that about himself. Shows you his mindset. His focus wasn't on loving Jesus. His focus was, I'm the one whom Jesus loves. Now, Jesus loves everybody the same. No nepotism, favoritism, no nothing in the kingdom. You're in because you're covered in Him. You have access to everything. But whom Jesus loved, and on four occasions in the book of John, this reference is made. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, can you look at yourself that way? Can you see yourself leaning in? In letting God love you. See, when I got rescued from drowning, I had to stop my striving and lean on the bosom or chest of another while I was being carried and only could cooperate. See, a place of receiving love represents rest. If you're trying to work at loving God, you're really at work. Because you're trying to do all the things based on your effort to find that you're approved. 
But when you receive His love, your love for Him is just automatic. It continues to flow. So, can you, uh, you know, can you look at yourself that way, like John? Can you, can, can you let God love you that way? Can you accept favor when you don't deserve it? Can you accept blessing when you don't deserve it? Can you accept all the goodness of God at the table, independent of your effort to qualify for it? See, a lot of people can't because a lot of people, they're so religious. They have to pray hard, work hard, do hard. Do, do. You know, a lot of people think their breakthroughs up to what they do. No, your breakthroughs at the cross. You cooperate in receiving the manifestation of it through what he whispers in your ear and your prayer, your giving, your all these kind of things. But the breakthrough is in Christ. And so here's the wonderful thing. Satan's assignment is to make you think you're not loved completely. He'll let you know God loves you. But you don't think you're loved completely. And condemnation settles in. Now listen, we all suffer with this. Well, maybe I shouldn't say you all. Let's say I do. Sometimes I suffer where condemnation visits me because I didn't do enough. I didn't preach enough. I didn't whatever enough. huh? And I got to come back to the place of Jesus' finished work. Hallelujah. And let him love me. Let him love me. And let him bless me just because of Jesus. And talk of his wonderful goodness and his wonderful favor in my life. Your greatest assignments in life and ministry come to you when you know and when you believe that you are loved. Assignments based on your vision will eventually frustrate you. I used to always be a... I have all these vision charts and all this and do all my confessions. And then dear God, one day I woke up and said, what in the world is going on? This has absolutely exhausted the heck out of me. You know what I mean? And so right now, you know what I do now for vision? Because people, I was at a board meeting before I came here. And so I'm at this board meeting for this ministry on Saturday morning from 8 till 1130. I, I said, I got to leave. Sorry. Three and a half hours. They were getting ready to go to lunch or something. I said, oh, sorry, I'm going to. And so we're sitting around. There's different people from different ministries and different things. They look over to me. And they say, Keith, uh, you know, tell me about your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, your 20-year plan. I say, I got a plan this week. I got a plan this week. And then I laugh because it surprised them. And I said, friends, this is what I do. I'm resting in his love for me. And he draws me and sometimes he gives me a vision beyond a point of time of a couple years. Like I have a vision for the Middle East Mission Center. I explained it this morning. It goes for a couple, two and a half more years or something. So I have a lot of vision that way, but it's only as I'm being carried. And then he quickens something. And there's, there's rest in it. There's peace in it. So your greatest assignments are based on the ability of Him and not your ability. And the abundance of love and grace you've received. It's refreshing. It's fulfilling. And it's full of miracles. I love miracles. I love when there's intervention. Wow. Magnificent. Let me show you something real quick. Go with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. 
verse 25. The Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. Now think about this. Jesus is dying on the cross. The sin of the world was just placed upon him. He took stripes and all the punishment and pain. And he's getting ready to be separated from his father. Believing by faith the love of God would raise him from the dead. What an amazing assignment. And while he's on the cross, look at the Bible says. His mother, his mother's sister, Mary... And, and, the, and the wife of Clopas and, and Mary Magdalene, they're all there now standing at the foot of the cross. Just imagine, it. Jesus is dying. His mother's there. These other ladies are there. Look at it, it says in verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. Huh. Who's that? John. So John, where were the other dudes? They split. You know, if you're trying to live your life based on your effort to love God, you don't have staying power. You will disappoint yourself. The Bible says, I could find it for you in the book of Luke. It says they, in, in Mark, Mark's gospel, they all forsook Jesus and fled. Not just Peter. They all forsook him and fled. But at the cross, John's just raptured and hit God's love for him. So Jesus sees Mary and the disciple whom he loved. And look at the Bible says. Verse, uh, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. To me, that's the greatest mission assignment ever given. Jesus trusted his mother with somebody who was established in God's love for them. It's an amazing. You know, the greatest assignments I've ever had in mutual faith ministry have happened in the last framework of time where I'm understanding God's love for me. I'm just being drawn and pulled and I get whispers. Get assignments. And they're not burdensome. They're not burdensome. That's why when the Bible talks about his commands are not burdensome, he's not talking about the commands of the old system, which is obsolete. He's talking about the commandments of the new covenant. The commandment of love. The commandment of faith. What he writes on your heart, they're not burdensome. It's so refreshing. And I believe the more you let God love you, the more he can surprise you with himself. And the more you can yield to his promptings and calling, his blessings and his abundance, you can cooperate with the perfect plan God has for your life. Friend, I believe when you do that, you just can't help but let your heart be happy, knowing how good God is, that he loves you completely. Did you all like the word tonight? Give the Lord Jesus some praise. Can you do that? Hallelujah.